Hello, and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm James, and my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, mine are also he and him. And I'm Alistair, and my pronouns are also he and him. Again, no uh, David for this episode. He has descended into the foul crypts of the dread necromancer and is contesting the dire forces therein. Um, whether he will return to the world of light, no man yet knows. Uh, he'll be back later. So this time, it's uh, it's another cultural committee. We've decided that we are, we're breaking with tradition yet again and we're doing another good movie. Not like that he could stop us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can pry the movies out of our cold, dead hands. Indeed. Um, maybe that's what David's doing right the second to the Necromancer. Anyway, so we've decided, um, We last time we when we did a good movie, we watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and it was Jamie's uh, favourite movie. I think you find last time we watched a good movie, it was Hitman Agent 47 starring <laughs> a <good> friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so last time Jamie Jamie got us into trouble. Uh, this time we decided to take a tour into the mind of none other than Rob, who suggested I don't know. Well, what have you suggested, Rob? What is it we watched this time? We watched 2011's Margin Call, which is possibly my favorite movie of all time, or at least a strong like top three contender. Uh, why? I, why does that not surprise me? I fucking yeah. love this movie. I yeah, love, we yeah. we all love Zachary Quinto's ro- robot metal tits. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're for. not uh, if you're not familiar with this film, it's it's the boss baby, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good film. It's a good film. Um, we will warn everyone that Kevin Spacey features prominently in it. Yeah, I was um, going to say it's something not legally actionable. <laughs> <laughs> and there is our first uh, first filter of the episode. No, um, I, don't think, I don't think so, like. Do you think we can get away with that one? Kevin Spacey yeah. has a problem with us. He can ask us nicely to behave. <laughs> oh, there it definitely is. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um, so yeah, watch as we try and navigate the world of talking about a film with Kevin Spacey in it with Jamie on the episode. Um, but no, no, we, we, we watched Margin Call and it is, it is a good film um, starring Kevin Spacey, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Zachary Quinto... Uh, and then a few others. Uh, Demi no, Moore is in Demi there. Moore oh, is in he, there. Simon Baker's in there. Uh, yeah, don't don't yeah. dare do there. down Stanley Tucci. Holy shit! And Stanley Tucci. <laughs> it's it's a fucking it's a monster of a cast. That like, guy from The Mentalist. Yeah, Simon <laughs> Baker. Yeah. Oh, is that who that is? Right. Who yeah. is incredibly good in this as well? Like everybody's like just. There is not a bad performance in this, like genuinely not. Kevin, Kevin Spacey's is probably the worst in it, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think that's fair. I think my I think my favorite was uh, Paul Bettany, to be honest. I really yeah. liked him in this. Yeah. But like Paul Bettany, well, just insofar as in the character is likable. Oh no, they're all pricks. So, yeah, I mean, we we should stress that this is not a film where you're meant to like anyone, right? No. There, there, there do, isn't. A, sorry, I do on. like the scene. To, like, there's a scene quite a way into the film where it's like, "Should we feel bad about this?" Yeah. <laughs> to which the resounding answer is not really. Yeah. Um, it is interesting actually to consider that we've now done two films where there's no one in it who's meant to be like, uh, you know, unambiguously good or anything. We we seem to like films about various shades of bastard and margin call. Maybe we see something of ourselves in these films. Who's to say? Yeah, strange. <laughs> some kind of mirror. Art is the mirror of the world. Anyway, um, so we, we really do want to stress right at the outset that when you go watching this film, you're watching bad people doing bad things and just enjoying the drama of it. 
essentially. Uh, you get to watch people's souls erode in real time. And what's uh, not to love about that? As, as to whether or not they had any in the first place is also kind of like d just debatable as well. Um, but yeah, it is... It's just a fucking great movie. I, I really love it very, very much. It's like if you're... It's the best sort of comparison that I can make of it for like other movies is it's like a more... Like it's it it has shades of Glengarry Glen Ross the 1992 one where you know uh, everybody knows the Alec Baldwin scene of uh, always be closing the the opening bit yeah it, it, it's a bit like that but except like sort of that one's set in like this little grotty real estate office this is set in like these incredibly like clinical and like subtly lit skyscrapers like high finance but like the characters are essentially just kind of as grotty as and unlikable as they are in glengarry glam ross and the incentives my, are about the same my my strange thing watching it is in a bizarre way it feels like the way it's filmed is kind of gothic yes like it, it's it's like it, it's filmed in a kind of clinical everything's dark and like detached it's i mean it's set pretty much over the course of like a couple of days and it starts at night and it, uh well no that's a lie it starts hours. under fluorescent yeah, yeah it's about yeah it's one one full night, yeah isn't it? and it starts under fluorescent lighting basically and then goes overnight and you only start to get sunlight at the very end of it essentially yes um it's very it's it's a it's a definitely kind of a it's a film for people who are sealed away from the world, so to speak, in how it handles yes. its characters. These are, thematically, these are vampires, basically. And so the film itself has this kind of texture of kind of gothic remove to it, which is kind of cool. It's It works. There's an entire scene where uh, they, like, potter about on the top of the skyscraper looking out over the city, which is... Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. I mean, all of it, like, because so much of it is, like, set in the dead of night because of the shenanigans that are ongoing it's just like they, all of it you have this a lot of this like black and bluish like sort of gothic or maybe i, I would more describe it as like an operating table it's got this sort of weirdly yes. sterile thing and apart from like the, the the eight people who like the eight characters who who are in this the, the the eight like actors who drive this thing the extras are really like extra there's a great scene in the second half of the movie where um simon baker and demi moore are like sort of plotting whether or not one of them or both of them is like have a career survive like the night in terms of their career and they're standing in this lift in between um in between them is a cleaner who is just like a normal person and it's incredibly weird because you have a couple of these scenes where there's like cleaners and like normal people in the background, but it's all like everything else is sort of empty and nobody's there because everybody's also been fired. And we'll get into the plot and everything, but it's... It, yeah, it's, it definitely like the, the extras in the film are, it's like they're the herd and these are the like the sharks or the kind of, you know, predators, if you will, that the, the film's actually concerned with. The, little the sharks that famously prey on herds. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, I, if I said school, it wouldn't have the same resonance, but you get the idea. It's like a normal man is in this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But in, in all seriousness, like all the extras are things that they use. They're depersonalized. Um, they they don't matter to their world, and yet, and yet, the film intentionally plays this up. There's an intentional contrast, particularly that scene with the cleaners that Rob is referencing. So to, to get the, to really bring this into focus, these people might as well be liches or vampires yeah. or, you know, 
you, you know, this is their world and we are merely living in it is very it's, much yeah. like a subtext of this film. Profound so, alienation of what they do and who yes. they are to and also how they everything else. Then in the brief scenes where they talk about because it is it is a film we should, maybe we haven't made this clear I don't think we did this is it is essentially a film about the two thousand eight financial crash which is by it's also a meme movie. Um, <laughs> there there are occasional scenes and we'll go through it as as we talk about the movie where they talk about the effects that their works and what they are about to do will have on like ordinary people and it's like what they're constantly doing or at least most of them are doing is sort of self-justifying why what they're doing isn't actually like vampiric and evil but necessary or at least like va- or at best like value neutral that it like it it, yeah. it it would have happened anyway and we're just here for the ride um yeah and so, so shall we shall we sort of get into it shall i set the scene so the setup for this is in 2008 an unnamed investment bank because they would all be very titchy about having their names anywhere near this and lovers yeah yeah um it begins laying off a large number of employees um among these affected um is a guy named eric dale who's head of risk management um who's he played by again can you remember it's stanley tucci <laughs> yeah stanley uh, tucci's okay. sacked for having too rugged a beard he, he, yeah, <laughs> it, absolutely. But again, like the, already, this this intro scene, it's it's um, you know, it's not unfamiliar in, in in sort of large corporates in general, but especially not in the financial sector. Like the first thing you see is like this sort of line of HR people and security people and like people walking behind them with like boxes with their stuff who've clearly just been sacked. Mm-hmm. And like the first thing you see is like these people sort of streaming out of the building because they've all been sacked and now it's like the the hr like the, the the firing squad is essentially like coming to the floor where most of the rest of the movie's gonna play out and you see paul bettany and um not stanley tucci but you see paul bettany and zachary kinto and penn badgley and it's like oh my god it's them um and yeah. two of them like the, ju- the two juniors so penn badgley and zachary kinto have never been through it before so they're like fuck you know are they about to because nobody knows who's getting fired yet or not it's like you get called into an office and then essentially they just put a stun gun like to they just put a bolt gun to to your head and tell you to fuck off but the person who gets fired is eric dale uh played by stanley tucci and he's importantly he's head of risk management which ought to set the tone they're having yes. a downturn the downsizing and the first person they're firing is the head of their risk management right um What's interesting is, as he's being fired, he attempts to tell them about the implications of a model he's working on, saying, listen, I'm actually doing something kind of important. And there's a very interesting kind of exchange happens there. Because the person in the room who's firing him misreads it as him trying to justify why they should keep him on. Whereas he's actually trying to warn them, no, I'm, I think I've come on to something that's kind of dangerous. But because of that, because of the circumstance, because of the structure that he's in, no one pays him any attention. So on his way out the door, he gives a flash drive containing his work to one of those two junior associates, uh, Peter Sullivan, um, and warns him to be careful. And so the film really kicks off because Sullivan is intrigued by this yeah, and decides to stay after. There's almost a sort of great, like that that little scene is great because like it's, uh, it, that again, like it's it has that, what you would just talk about earlier, James, it has a sort of near like gothic horror vibe because it's just as like the lift doors are closing and... Um, 
Stanley Tucci is standing there with like his boxo stuff because he's just been sacked. And like right before the lift doors close, he says, he gives him this USB drive and says, be careful. And it's like this sort of, you know, you definitely know something's up. Yeah, it's I do, like, I do the, the, like how um, there is, uh, throughout the film, pretty much only two people have any clue about what is happening. And that is... Peter Sullivan and um, Eric Dale, so Stanley Tucci and Zachary Quinto, and everyone else has is basically a fucking idiot in comparison because um, Peter Sullivan is able to complete this thing that Eric Dale's put together, and it's like like I say, the only two people have any clue about what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and like, they, they are, are among the most junior as well. Which, again, is interesting. Head of risk management gets fired. Head of risk management tries to warn them, listen, something's really bad. And the only one who listens is another person in the risk management department. Um, And what's really interesting and what I love about this scene is Sullivan stays after hours while, meanwhile, his friends go out to do their champagne and, you know, all the other stuff at the club. We survived. Yeah. Because, you know, they didn't get fired. In the meantime, you also have this little scene with... um... After everybody's been been fired, uh, you have Paul Bettany yeah. comes into Kevin Paul Spacey. Paul Bettany talking to Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, JV, please. Um, he comes and he says, like, look, everybody who's been fired has been fired and, like, they've all taken their boxes and fucked off. So, like, you have to give a pep talk. And, like, Kevin Spacey just, like, he's been through this a bunch of times. So he just says, look, uh, three out of every seven people in this entire firm has just been shit canned like they were good but you were better and like that's like less people standing between you and your boss's job so like good job on surviving so it's incredibly like the tone is set very sharply like this is not you know a human workplace this is you know this is sort of a, a tank full of sharks that are like the moment you show weakness or you're not good enough or your quarter is bad or like you work in a non-productive sector like risk management, you're just going to get your legs cut out. And later on, like through inference, you can sort of work out why Stanley Tucci gets sacked. Like it's not stated, but you can work it out later Later in. Mm. And um, I, I will add, like, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. During my degree, I had to do an internship over the summer. And my degree wasn't in anything finance related, but I ended up working for JP Morgan Chase on an internship. And this was before my politics had really taken form and I really understood shit from shit. It was right around just before the 2008 crisis was kicking off, right? And I have to say, they've nailed the vibe because I was in the tech department and the techies themselves were normal people, but everyone over them was exactly like this, exactly like this. And it's really, it's that's one of the things that struck me about the film. It is authentic to experience like they really are like this it's it can't be overstated um anyway so so yeah he works late and he goes ah holy shit and basically calls his friend the other junior guy in the department who's you know doing uh champagne and just celebrating with the others that they survived and what he discovers is that the assumptions underpinning the firm's risk profile, the way they do all their balancing and, and carefully making sure that no matter what way it plays out in practice, they're going to be okay. The assumptions are wrong. The historical volatility levels, i.e. how much the price will change in mortgage-backed securities, um, they assumed they would always stay pretty much level. And instead, yeah, within certain exceeded. ranges, but yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 but the ranges are like, again, this is... 
we just did a whole finance episode so i'm going to try not to do it again um but uh like it it, it, it is the 2008 crisis and it's like yeah it, it, you're at the point and this is like there are historical parallels to, to what happened here as well specifically in terms of, of of Goldman Sachs where like people have started to work out wait a minute the the models that we use specifically for all the housing stuff as to how many people were paying back would pay back the mortgages they signed up for this doesn't this doesn't add up for shit anymore like if you've seen the big short that essentially this is like the first these are among the first people who have worked out that the whole pyramid is like not just unstable, but about to just like just explode, basically, like it, yeah. about to collapse. They, they, they've kind of like you know, they, they, there is the short. The people who did all the shorts, who are the subjects of the big short, who basically decided, oh, we think it's it's going to be fucked. They figured it out way in advance and then just sat waiting for it to happen. This is the financial firms realizing. Or the guys taking the short position are correct, and not only that, it's about to go down. Right? And we are about and so to go Jeremy down. And so Jeremy Irons like, that's, says, that's, in, says in the says in the film, the music has stopped. Yeah, yeah. And so what this means is that since all their assumptions about how safe mortgage-backed securities are were wrong, that means that they are over leveraged. What they mean by that is they just have far too many of these mortgage-backed securities that they are counting on turning up good. So it means when they all turn up bad, they're going to implode. They're done. They'll be over. The music has stopped. The, the the assumption that these are all good is now being revealed as being dog shit. Yeah. And so the debt that they incur when all of these, like they were banking on them all being good, when too many of them go bad, all that debt will bankrupt a company. Yeah. And so Sullivan realizes this and goes, oh shit, and calls his colleague Seth Bregman. Uh, who's Seth Bregman paid by again? Uh, Penn Badgley. He's Penn most Badgley. famous from either Gossip Girl or that Netflix thing, You, uh, which I haven't watched. Mm. But he plays it fantastically as well. He plays it as such a little prick, like junior yeah. level prick. It's fucking incredible. Like, the, the, yeah. So he calls him at the champagne bar and says, can you get the head of credit trading, Will Emerson? Uh, who plays Will Emerson? Anyone remember? Paul Bettany. Paul, Paul Bettany, Bettany, there we yeah. go. He says, can you grab him and can both of you please come back to the office now? And um, they go back to the office. I should say at this point as well, like what we are talking about here and like the context we're giving you about the, the trading and stuff. This movie does not do that. Like it just, it it takes until like the first big meeting where pretty much all the characters are in one room until somebody explains to you like materially what this model is and what they've just found out and what it is one of the things i like about this movie in general uh in contrast to so many other fucking movies produced today is it does not treat you like a moron it just assumes that you are an intelligent person who can either work things out or is willing to like wait for the explanation like it doesn't it doesn't hold hands as much and it's one of the things i really like about it yeah so from the typical like viewers experience what you're seeing is guy in charge of risk has been fired and on the way outdoor he says listen i found something really risky junior guy follows it through and goes oh shit and then summons more senior guy who in, in this case um you know will emerson he looks at it they come back to the office for the junior guy and will emerson he emerson looks at it and he goes oh shit and he summons his boss uh sam well, rogers no, he, um, he looks at it and has to get like the other two yeah. to explain it to, to explain it yeah. yeah this is yeah. so this is this is what i was saying earlier pretty much every everyone above um peter sullivan it, with the exception of eric dale stanley tucci is 
like it just says I don't care I don't I'm not interested in the specifics talk to me like a child or yeah. uh, Jeremy Irons uh, talks to me like I'm a golden retriever which I found yeah. amusing yeah yeah it's, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah I like I did like that that like you know what I mean they've got very few people around who are actually clever and are in charge of like just fucking making the the guide rail that all the salesmen like roll down every day and all the salesmen themselves are just thick as shit yeah, like none of them actually understand what they're doing or the implications of it. Yeah, or, or they're so like high above the like the people who do the actual math that they're like, well, I just I can't, I don't know. And this again, this is a lot of parallels with two thousand eight, where it turned out that like the big CEOs like Jamie Dimon, for example, when they were asked by I think by the Senate, like, did you know what those guys were doing? And they were all said, look. No, we fucking don't, because we don't have like PhDs in in astrophysics or something like. That. We don't understand yeah, I mean, the math. Pe- Peter Sullivan s- quite literally, quite literally, is a, is a PhD in rocket science. Is a rocket science, scientist. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, we'll we'll get to that because that's a brilliant there's, scene. There's yeah. another great bit. We'll get to that. But like, um, as James was saying, like, um, and again, this is not explained, but you you can work it out in in the course of the movie. Is um, once Paul Bettany's character, who's like another step up in the seniority ladder, has worked out that shit is going seriously sideways, he calls um, Kevin Spacey, who's in his car on on, on the way home. Um, yeah, that's says, sa- the, his boss' name is Sam Rogers. So Sam Rogers. Anyway, carry you. on. And he he says you need to get back to the office now because things are a doing. And then Kevin Spacey says, "Well." just explain it to me and then he says well I, I can't you need to just be back here and then um spacey says well you just need your spacey's character says well you just need to send just send me an email and i'll look at it and at that point paul bettany says i don't think that would be a good idea and the what you work well, you can work out later but it's essentially inferences if we put this in an email there will be a paper trail that some lawyer or like government official can find mm. later so come back here so we can do this in person where this and, conversation will not be recorded for like legal action later and this is very important because this is the moment when when he says that kevin spacey credit with it's due he does actually play it well you see the penny drop for him as he goes yes oh we're in shit you need to have a conversation with me that is completely off record uh that must be serious and he orders we can't turn around essentially so um, they, they basically come back and, again, it's explained to Kevin Spacey with yet another layer of, I don't understand this shit, simplify it for me. And they're like, right, are you sure you're, you've done it right? They basically, t- they're like, okay, this is big. Are you sure about this? Let's go get the guy we fired, Eric Dale, and check. Like, let's see about this. But they can't contact him because his company phone has been shut off after he's fired. So... What do, while, while I remember, I do want to bring up that we get a fantastic phone throw um, yeah. earlier on in the film, where uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric Dale realizes realizes that the phone's been di- like immediately disconnected as soon as he leaves the building after being fired. Just completely obliterates that fucking phone. It's incredible. Yeah, like he's trying to phone his wife or order a taxi or something, and he realizes it's dead, and he just hurls it at the pavement with great abandon. And it's it's very good. That's that's a one take, or we need a new phone kind of scene, frankly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, basically, um, Seth and Peter, the two, uh, what you call it, junior guys are sent out to go get him, just go get him and bring him here. And they're like, well, he doesn't work for us anymore. And we're like, just tell him we'll make him whole, bring him here. Essentially. I mean, they ring his Um, wife first and she says, well, he hasn't come home. And then there's sort of like a, 
it gets it gets more interesting later. But essentially, they just send him. They send uh, the um, Zachary Quinto and Pan Badgley out to a strip club to just sort of, you know, maybe he's there because that's where he hangs out if he's had like a, a a shit day. And again, like you have this. I don't know, James. James, if you wanted to still get there, but like you have this great scene in the in this strip club where again it's completely depersonalized it's not really people there and it's just like and then you have this sort of again pin badgley plays such like a great little deformed weasel who is like just absorbed finance as like a total lifestyle because he keeps asking and asking every scene it's just like how much do you think these girls make how much do you think the ceo makes how do you much do you think yeah he's exactly like someone that i know in real life he's obsessed with how much other people make how much he makes how much his boss makes and like that's all that matters to him Mm mm-hmm and it's it's just it, it, yeah it's it's pretty good and it stresses that underpinning a lot of this is just constant status anxiety rooted in people's financial worth so and meanwhile while they're doing that the two more senior guys um sam and will they're like we need to inform the company's senior management of this situation so um basically they have a, a meeting another meeting with the intermediate um division head uh jared cohen who's he again can you remember simon baker the mentalist yes he is right excellent um who's chief uh he's the division head and then we have uh sarah robertson who's demi moore um and a few other senior executives i can't remember who they basically have a meeting with them where they lay lay this out and they are again yet again uh it needs to be dumbed down for them but these guys repeat the dumbed down explanations they received before as though they're their explanations which is a really nice touch like it's uh these guys had to have it dumbed down for them and now rather than admit they don't know they use the dumbed down explanation they themselves were given to to sell the others on how serious it is which is just a wonderful like these guys don't know shit kind of moment um they conclude that the findings are accurate and there's a little, I don't know, Rob, do you want to talk about the little bit where it's kind of like, it's implied that they knew this was sort of coming? It's not implied that they knew that was coming, but what is like, and it becomes clearer once you have the big group meeting where Jeremy Irons gets introduced, is that like the two of them, uh, uh, Simon Baker and, and um, Demi Moore's characters, have been like operationally responsible for like, going more and more into the mortgage business essentially and like getting more levered up and like creating you know because the 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 profits were extreme but it is implied that they at least knew that what they were doing was like on the on the riskier side of the spectrum like they didn't know that 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 they that shit's gone this far out of control but they definitely knew uh, you know what was what was happening like they 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 had an inkling of of how far it was going to go I do also like though that uh, whenever, whenever like two characters that are, are in the same room together that aren't um, that that don't have Peter Sullivan and uh, uh, Seth Bregman in the same room, they're always politicking against each other about who mm. backed what to do what and who's fucking who. It's just every single fucking scene, without without exception, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, this is just who they are. Um, So at at this point, they basically conclude, shit, we need to call the boss boss. And so they call the CEO, John Tuld, who is Jeremy Irons. 
and who steals every scene he's in, in my oh, view, he personally. He just fucking 100%. blows it away. It's so good. Like, he's so um, good in this. I, um, I, I wasn't... I didn't think much of Jeremy Irons in this. Okay. He, um, he, he just... It, it's weird, but it felt like... Um, it felt too similar to his performance in Die Hard 3. Like... <laughs> When he's he's the fucking like terrorist guy in Die Hard Three, and he keeps doing like different voices to different. When he's like pretend, you know, when he's infiltrating places or deceiving people, he's putting on all these different. It felt like it was. I was watching like Simon Gruber doing a bit, hmm. <laughs> but like it was just it was weird. It just I, I I don't know specifically what it was, but from the first scene, I just got the the air that he was just doing the same character. Mm. Well, I. I I think it works. Oh, I mean, it didn't. It didn't. Didn't ruin the film or anything like. But it just. Uh, I didn't think it was. It, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was one of the better performances in the film. It just seemed a bit. Um, like. I don't know. I just feel it feels. Playing like a a guy who should who like you know everyone would ex or you you would think everyone would expect to be very sort of professional and competent and intelligent and then playing him as a bit of a weird guy, who's like not really as clever as he seems, is just not like I, I don't know I mean it's a thing it's a thing I had with the film where I think if I'd seen it like, I mean what was it twenty eleven it came out mm-hmm. yeah I think even then it might have been like too late but i think if i'd seen it like before i'd actually you know what i mean before i'd come to the position where i decided that the economy is fake and that like believing in any of this horse shit is how they get you (laughs) then it would probably have been like a like a really like big thing you know like oh this really like opened my eyes to how fucking farcical the whole thing is but watching it now was it was just sort of like no, yeah, I mean, yeah, this guy's turned up and he's he's the CEO and they pay him like fucking like however many like billions million, of dollars a year. Million. Yeah, how they pay him all that money every year because he's the guy that can just sense where the fucking like sense where things are going. And it's like I, I'm just like, no, yeah, that seems pretty standard. Like that is the, exactly the kind of stupid horseshit I would expect the people who run the world to be up to. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing, he nails the performance, he plays that character because that's the reality of what it is, and it's also, I want to be really crystal clear on it, what is revealed in the film is the reason he's paid 86 million is not because he can see where things are going, he clearly can't, the prob- the reason he's paid 86 million is he knows exactly what ruthless, merciless, like, killer thing to do um, for the direction of the company, which is where we go with the film, essentially, He's the one who, he, he asks for his underlings' opinions and he goes for the most ruthless, direct self-preservation, self-preservation one. Um, and he's totally bloodless about it. And it's like, that's his character, you know? Um, he's almost playing it like, through the position he's been endowed with, he's been given this almost for- force of nature-like capacity over his underlings. And, it, like, Irons plays it. And the fact that it's kind of pathetic is, you know, and like that if you stop and look at it outside the seriousness with which they're all taking it, it is kind of farcical, but that's kind of reality of it. Yeah, because... It does feel a bit like a Jamie <laughs> Diamond or the similar, you know? I mean, his Yeah, I just, I, like I say, I just, I don't think it's it's that much. I think if Jeremy Irons had just turned up and been Jeremy Irons, it wouldn't have been that different. Like, <laughs> I could easily imagine that guy, like, talking about how, you know, gay marriage means that, like uncles should be allowed to fuck their sons or something whatever the fuck he was on about that one time <laughs> you know for tax for tax purposes but like 
I, I just I don't think it was a, a particularly. I, I mean, I I think generally I, I struggle to think of a, a, a Jeremy Irons role that I would really rate. I think he's he's very overrated as an actor. Ah, okay, right. Um, well, there's an out accounting for taste. Um, so, I guess. I mean, don't uh, get me wrong. He was really really good in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he'd worn lipstick in this, it would have really added to the role. Um, but yeah, so. They basically conclude he's got to turn up and he arrives by helicopter because, of course, he fucking does, you know? Um, and he involve he arrives by helicopter. You're not allowed to do that. You haven't been, you haven't been allowed to he- land a helicopter on a roof in New York since, like, the 70s or something? Because <laughs> someone, like, someone did a minor 9-11 on some, yeah, like, well, famous I mean, building. Uh, An 8-11. Yeah. 8-10. Yeah. And it- I'm checking this. Yeah, and when, when, <laughs> while while he comes in, uh, like um, Paul Bettany, the three junior at this point, they're the three juniors because every time they introduce new people, they're essentially more senior until you get to Jeremy Irons, who's the CEO. Yeah, and Paul Bettany and Zachary Kinto and Pam Badgley are they're standing, Alistair. This is what you were talking about earlier. They're standing on the the roof of the giant skyscraper with like you know, the sort of ants of the real world underneath them talking about, you know, how Paul Bettany spent like two and a half million dollars every year. And he just sort of jokes, well, you learn to spend what's in your pocket. And it's just, they all sort of, they they laugh about it, but it is sort of accepted as real that it's kind of, you know, okay to be paid that amount of money. And, you know, um, there's this great bit where uh, Paul Bettany, like, climbs over the railing or half climbs over the railing and like looks down at like this i don't know 100 story drop or however fucking far it is and it's i can't remember the exact line but it's something like you know the, 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 the people aren't actually afraid he says of- that when people when people get near like uh, an edge like a, a drop like that they're not afraid of falling they're afraid that they might jump yes mm. exactly and it's like you know, again, that that's very thematic for the whole film as well. It's like, are, so are what they I, falling? What I liked about- or, you know, are they in the end the whole thing? They all jump, but it is to save themselves. It's a, yeah. What I liked about that scene was when he's talking about he's explaining how he spent like two and a half million in a year. He starts with, well, the tax man takes like half half of it straight away, so just like wipe that out, and like that was. You know what I mean? When, whenever you hear all this shit about, oh, if you tax the rich, they'll just go somewhere else. No, they fucking won't. They don't care. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, if, if if they get paid, like, fucking three million quid and you go, right, well, we're having a million of that to pay for roads, they're not going to give a shit. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what were they going to do with that extra million? More cars. I mean, what, what, he, what he says in the scene is, like, uh, so half of it goes to the tax man, so that's, like, one and a quarter million left. And at the end of this like explanation of what he spends the money on, he keeps four hundred thousand for a rainy day. Like, yeah. like we we I'm pretty sure we joked on the on the podcast before about rich people just hoarding money like fucking Smaug. And like, yeah, this is this is literally how they operate. It's like this money is better off in my in my wallet than it is anywhere else. So I'm gonna keep it. It it it's yeah. So you get to Jeremy Irons are sort of introduced as well because simon baker says like because they all have to go to the meeting because essentially like you have to catch it you have to like if you're like me you've watched it a bunch of times um but like there's a reason that uh simon baker's character like because he plays like obviously the successor to jeremy irons when when he retires or whatever because he's obviously like a fucking psychopath 
mm. you know, he's a stone dead-eyed psychopath, like completely willing to do whatever it takes to save his career, to save the firm, whatever. And like he, he says, he, he brings like the super juniors and and um, Paul Bettany's character in as well into the meeting. And he says, look, whatever you do, don't lie. You're not smart enough to to pull it off. Essentially, being like Jeremy Irons' character is too clever, and you can't. Like, you can't work it out, essentially. You're not strong enough. But what I think he's doing in, in, like, if you look at the scene closely, is he doesn't want to be the bearer of the bad news. So he's like, well, if I take Zachary Kinto and the other guy in with me, then they will have to tell the bad news story and I can be the one who comes up with the solution to the thing. It's yes. he's, he's already playing the politics to save his own ass. He's also correctly intuiting that the major CEO man is not going to like just go ham on a peon, essentially. And so if a peon delivers a bad news, it's like, you know, it's like, don't shoot the messenger. If it's, if they're low down enough, he doesn't associate the messenger with the message. Whereas if it was his right-hand man going boss, then that would sound like an admission of guilt. And so he's, he's, he, this is why the guy is clever. And um, I also, by the way, just to give J- Jamie his credit, I looked it up and indeed you can't, there are public use helipads in new york city so this scene if it was real life it would have been he lands on a helipad and then commutes in but i wouldn't have a drama would it um strangely but we can still land helicopters over in california so that might have had something to do with it anyway um so they have the meeting and in case it's not obvious they recall um the guy the, the low-level peon who discovered and completed the model um and this meeting is very is very tense it's very interesting um and in the course of it you know it's challenged like well what's interesting is how the challenge is done is they don't say well how do you know this is right they ask the guy what's your background to this junior guy who finished the model like they don't say well how do we know this model isn't horseshit they just attack his credentials and they attack his credentials by interrogating him and what do you do and he has the hilarious what is your cv yeah and he has a hilarious reply that he previously was working on a phd on rocket science and then, like, in the room, someone says, so you're literally a rocket scientist. And then someone says, well, why did, are you in finance? And he's like, rocket science doesn't pay, Yeah, the, the, if I may speak frankly here, the money is considerably better. Um, it's it's wonderful. Like, it's really, like, because it's, it's matched later on by a scene with Stanley Tucci where he says, oh, I built a bridge once. And it's clearly, like, these people who without the advent of finance capital might have actually built a better rocket or, like, built kept building bridges or you know contributed to society somehow but now I mean, they're just quite here a famous fucking uh, around with bits of paper yeah it's quite a famous phenomenon isn't it it's like the the like brain drain effect that finance has had on yeah the smartest people in you know you know your oxford cambridge uh harvard graduates just they gravitate to the place that gives them a shitload of money for just fucking over like millions of people Versus, oh, this person might have uh, used their um, abilities to develop a vaccine or some medication or build bridges or revolutionise, like, an actual useful industry rather than just a a, a massive parasite that sits on top of all of the wealth that flows in and out of a country. Or, or like, you know, in another world, they might have gone to the government and worked on, like, actually the actual economy in the yeah. civil service. But instead, they've correctly intuited, well, I could go work in the civil service. Excuse me, the civil service. The civil, I guess it's called that because it's getting so old. Um, I could go work in the civil service like a sucker. Or I could go work where the real ruling of the world takes place and make some actual fucking money. And they all do that. 
Yeah. Um, and if they can't do that, then many of them end up doing things like going into regulatory uh, industry, you know, civil service kind of roles, and then spinning dooring their way into um, the uh, the senior roles. So there's almost like two tracks. The ones who are really good go straight into these big firms. The ones who are not quite good enough go to the regulators, but they're angling to get into those major firms as well. And it's just it's all very cynical. And the movie does a good job of portraying that, yeah, no, there is no part of this is good. Like, there's no ancillary effect to this in any way, shape, or form that in any way makes the world better. So anyway, they have that meeting, and um, Jeremy Irons gets to, you know, chew the scenery and stomp around and go, uh, my job is to te- tell you when the music has stopped. Do you know what I hear when I look out? Fucking silence. Silence. Um, yeah. Oh, and so as a consequence, they, they, they have to figure out what's next. And so he has a meeting with the other seniors, and he says, right, pitch me on what we do here. And Cohen... His plan is fire sale of all the problematic assets, just like yeah. sell it all, clear it I off mean, our balance sheets. I mean, essentially, sort of, in, in, in terms of financial realities, just to give it, explain a little bit, it is at this point that, like, it, again, this is a 2008 mortgage crisis, is this unnamed investment bank has essentially worked out that the stuff they're still holding on their books, these millions and millions and millions of mortgages, is essentially dog shit. They know that the people will never... Uh, uh, pay it back. They know that the whole system's fucked. They know that, like, that that and that the value that has been placed on those mortgages is as like, oh, okay, they'll be paid back. That that's just not going to happen. So they are stuck. Um, to borrow another phrase from Jeremy Irons in that scene, holding the biggest bag of odious excrement ever assembled in the history of capitalism. Now they have to decide what to do with that bag. Because and it's it's very funny because in this scene, his position of we just need to sell it all off to unsuspecting other firms is opposed by the moral conscience of the film. <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey's character, <laughs> which uh, in retrospect is hilarious. Um, he says his counter argument is we can't do that because. Um, will damage our relationships and reputation with the industry. Uh, no one will want to buy from us again. And us doing this fire sale will tank the market and it will cause major instability. And um, Tull, the CEO, cuts through that it doesn't matter whether we blow up everything else and whether we tank our reputation longer term. Our job is to survive and, you know, avoiding bankruptcy is worth the risk and cost of the fire sale and all the you know instability and reputation damage that will fall off the back of it so yeah they basically yeah. they basically go hey if we do this it's going to set the dominoes rolling and the ceo go ceo goes fine and there's a brilliant line which is imprinted on me where he says you know panic selling is never a good option to which the ceo comes back and says um it's not a panic if you're first yeah, exactly. Which is and it's, the thesis of this whole thing. And again, like that idea, because it, it, it this all plays sort of takes place in this first, like in the in the big board m- meeting where you really work out the stakes and what's going on. And clearly, it's Simon's Baker's plan to just say, let's just take all the shit that we know is dog shit, but let's just sell it anyway and let the panic stop with us because then we're first out the door and then it's you're not the one panicking. And it's it's. You could see that that's already the direction he's decided he wants to go, but like he waits for Simon Baker's character to propose it first. So like, 
even he's covering himself you know he's, yes. he's waiting to see you know how the chips land and and making sure that he's not the one holding the bag and it's right after that meeting that simon baker's character immediately starts making sure that he's also not the one that's going to get the blame and then you get this great scene in the in the lift that i was talking about earlier um uh between uh uh it they're going down the lift to i don't know to do stuff and things and it's simon baker I think on the left and then there's the cleaner in the middle and then Demi Moore on the right hand side and Demi Moore's character is essentially saying we decided on this whole thing with the mortgages together like I signed off on it as the chief risk officer um, you know you're the one implementing it we are tied in this together and then if I go down you go down and then it sort of ends with Simon Baker just saying well no I don't know that that is true I think I can survive and it's yeah he he, he basically is saying, I don't see it like that. You're the one who signed the paper. You're in charge of the risk. You're in charge of, like, you know, signing off on it. You signed off on it. I assumed that because you signed off on it, that makes it fine. It's your responsibility. And he basically tells her, no, we're not going to float together. I will absolutely let you sink and, like, be fed to the sharks if it means I can swim to shore. And, and the she, great thing you know, with it is with, with, with having the cleaner in the middle is, like, between the two of them, they're talking about, like, instigating a gigantic fuck off financial crisis that really did hit pretty much everybody in the world in terms of how the economy developed over the 10 years after that and like none of them even see the cleaner in the middle like the person in the middle the yeah. cleaner that's that's you the viewer you're the cleaner in this situation you know just and like, they just carry on like she doesn't exist it's like you know it's all about them yeah and it's it is and essentially pretty much I think every scene after this is just two or three people like various uh, constellations of two to four of these people in a room and essentially all they're doing is politicking and trying to like drop kick each other out of a window just to like stay in the game. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. So. Um... We'll, we'll carry on because like, the, the interesting thing is like first things ripple all the way up and then the rest of the film has been rippling all the way down yes. essentially with catastrophic kind of consequences for the rest of us um so dale's wife phones in and says hey um you know the he's home um and so emerson travels to him and attempts to persuade him to return to the film and he's like unsuccessful um and you know they, they end up having like a you know emerson and bregman have a philosophical debate about um will they lose their job um and you know they basically say like hey you know um it's the nature of financial markets don't lose faith your work's necessary there'll be someone who needs you kind of thing right um and essentially it's this is now they, they try and work out the plan of what they're gonna do so told jeremy irons um decides who's going to be the scapegoat for this and ultimately you know, surprise, surprise, it's Demi Moore or Sarah Robertson. She's going to be the sacrifice. And the fact it's the woman in the firm who yeah. gets sacrificed is also really, like, on brand and on point, frankly. Um, yeah, and so a, he's, he basically... There's a, there's a great line where they're having this discussion because she's clearly like, look, I shouldn't be the one that gets fired because I can, you know, I can make trouble for you is the implication if I open my mouth. And he sort of says, you really, really don't want to be the one to do that. 
And then they have this, you know, she says to him, look, it, we, it was all very clear and very well explained, this whole mortgage strategy between the three of us, me, you, Jeremy Irons, and Simon Baker. Um, and she says it was made very clear. And then Jeremy Irons cuts in and says, no, actually, it, would all, it was always a gray area. Like, you know, the thing that you thought was structural, no, it's not. I don't remember this at all the same way because, like, I need to boot you out. But don't worry, we'll yeah. pay you off, essentially. Yeah, he basically, he says, well, we can spin this such that you are responsible and I'm afraid you'll find that what you think you've got back stopped in the paperwork isn't. And you don't want to threaten us because then all your severance pay, all your pension, all the rest of it, we will make those disappear. On the other hand, if you go along with this, we will basically fill your pockets with gold to just go away and to be the person who, like, takes the blame and lets us all continue to be the scapegoat, literally, from you know, the whole purging the community of its sins by going off into the desert on your own. So they, they, they agree she's going to be jettisoned after this and there's nothing she can do about it. And so she just accepts it, right? She, um, I mean, she tries to dig her way out of it, but she just can't. Meanwhile, um, Eric Dale gets exactly the same treatment um, the risk, the senior risk officer who was fired, they're basically like, well, listen, you have a bunch of stuff owed to us, owed to you by us. Either you come back in and cooperate with our plan um, for which we will pay you handsomely, we will fill your pockets with gold, or all that shit's going to go away. And they're big enough and they're rich enough and they're powerful enough that even if the law might ultimately be on the side of the people getting screwed, it doesn't matter. They're still going to have to go years, possibly decades, without getting what they're owed by the firm, and they need it. They need the money, especially now that they've been made unemployed. And also, that would wreck their reputations for getting into other firms and potentially being able to pick back up. And so Eric Dale, he bows too, and he's like, right, I'll come in and I'll help with this plan in exchange for, like, what, what is it, 200000 400000 he's promised or something yeah, like this? Yeah, per hour or something. He's being paid in the millions to, like, essentially because they fired him before, they're incredibly worried that, like, because he signed the paperwork, that he would either go to, like, a rival firm or the press or the regulators and say this is what i know and if you come in now hard and fast you can fuck these people and presumably also there's money to be made in that they're also very worried about the optics of the fact they fired their senior risk officer right before everything yeah, went yeah, to yeah. shit and so that's they're basically paying him to pretend he wasn't fired until after which is a better look frankly um yeah it's it's and, it's um and this it, it it's at this point as all well. it's um this it's Paul Bettany and um, Penn Badgley who are in the car and they try to get him back. And then they have this conversation. They're both sitting outside um, uh, Stanley Tucci's like giant new house in, in Brooklyn, this massive, mm. beautiful looking brownstone building. And it's, he does, it's essentially like he's showing off how good his math is. Like I built a bridge once and because, you know, people, instead of driving the long way around to the next bridge because i built this bridge these two communities saved like thousands of hours a day therefore millions of hours a year i've saved these people thousands of years of travel time just from building a small bridge and like the the point of that whole scene is again like what we were just talking about earlier with the rocket scientists as well it's like had these people not been sucked into finance they might have done like productive things with their lives you know it's it's really incredible and it's it's this really and then on the way out so um then you have the scene with which i also really like it's the scene they're driving back it's penn badgley uh and paul bettany 
in the car and they're having that conversation. It's one of the few conversations in a movie where they're not worried about their own shit. It's their, you know, they're sort of having this conversation about like, is what we're doing even more, what we're doing even moral or important or like a, 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 a like relevant. And Paul Bettany is really doing this like self-justification of saying, well, if I didn't have my hands on the scale, like if finance capital didn't have its like hands on the scale, <laughs> then like the world would get really, really fast, so fast, really fair, really fast. And nobody actually wants this. It's so fucking funny. Like the actual, that like the very, I, I, I think believable like portrayal of how these people would see themselves and <laughs> just how, like you know the fact that they think that they're the ones helping out when they're the ones that are about to collapse like oh, the yeah. entirety of like the american mortgage sector just oh, incredible like, this is from my limited contact this is entirely authentic so i um in my brief time uh, working with jp morgan i had a manager who i won't name partly because i can't fucking remember his name um and we had a conversation and i was not doing well in that you know, internship because I was clinically depressed at the time. I didn't tell them, um, but I was on like stupid high doses of antidepressants and it made me kind of struggle with the work. And um, he, this guy took a liking to me and tried to kind of like sell me. He's like, oh, you should be more engaged. There's a future here for you if you want it. And he said a line to me, which has remained engraved with me. And I think it was this moment I realized I don't want to do this. And I decided to intentionally throw the, the whole thing is he said, listen, I mean, do you think I have to do this? I don't. I'm fucking rich. I can leave any time I want and go, you know, live anywhere. I'm here because this is good and it's good work and I'm making a difference. Yeah. And, and uh, I, this guy was in charge of the tech teams in JP Morgan fucking Chase. Like, and they're it, really it, deluded. Yeah. And that, that argument comes back later as well in the when they're about to start, start trading. But it's, you know, it, and it's also really funny because then, like, I mean, f yeah, because like at the end, Penn Badgley's character, because he's the most junior of all of them, says, am I getting fired? And then Paul Bettany just takes like a beat and it's just like, yes, almost definitely, yes, you are getting fired. Like you're, you are, the guy above you, like Zachary Quinto figured out this model and like put everything together. So he's proved his value, but like you're just a guy and like we're clearly going to have to sack more people. So you're like you're fucked like we don't care you know like it's and it... yeah he starts crying later in the toilets and there's a a scene where he meets the uh what you call it um i think it's it's simon baker isn't it comes into the bathroom yeah and yes. there's just for a shave for yeah a shave. and simon baker's just completely like doesn't care is just very detached and very like oh well this guy's upset oh well you know um and they have a conversation very briefly um, where he's like, you'll get over it. Like, it's it's very kind of, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, it works well that the guy who gets fired is the one who's obsessed with everyone's worth as well, because you can see how that's psychologically more damaging to him than, you know, necessarily for other people. So Yeah, because he, he yeah. seems to, like, believe in the horse shit, essentially. Or, like, he's just, or he he's, like, distanced himself enough, like, he's conditioned himself enough to this environment to just be, like, a, a little psychopath from the jump but he doesn't really have it like he doesn't have the what it takes to just like be really in that world whereas like he's crying in the toilet store and then like simon baker yeah simon baker's shaving and you know why are you crying oh yeah i'm gonna yeah you're gonna fire me and 
Simon Bacon just like barely even like acknowledges him. He's like, yeah, you're just like you're a peon. Like get the fuck out, you know. It's also like what's interesting about the contrast is like he cares about his status because of his money, whereas the real sharks don't. That's not them. They don't actually derive their status from it. They they care about using the power, but they don't like. It's not their egos are not caught up in like the specific dollar sign that's next to them. It's more about the power and the dollars come with it. And it's an it's an important distinction between the two of them, and it shows why he just doesn't have it. He cares too much about what other people think and what the status hierarchy, you know, what position he's in informs all of his being. Whereas these guys are doing it because they're bloodless vampires and it's just their nature, essentially. Um, so we get to what's the, the crux of it. I would say this is like the, the the climax of the film and then the rest is the denouement and, um, or denouement, however you pronounce it. Um, basically, they, they tell Rogers, right, you need to get your traders to sell it. And he's like, I, I really don't want to do this. And it's like, no, you're, you're going to do it. Um, you're going to make it happen. And they, they, you know, they put the screws on him and he says, fine. And so it's Kevin Spacey has to rally his traders and tell them, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do a fire sale. Here's how bad things are and you're going to fix it. That's, that's and he, he does it. Sorry, where they just to briefly break in because it's such a wonderful little moment and I love it every time I see it. Uh, essentially, like um, Jeremy Irons' character confront ke- confronts Kevin Spacey's character in the bathroom and says, "I need you on board because, like, the traders who need to execute the strategy we've thought up, they need to believe in what we're doing because otherwise they're not going to do the job and then we're still fucked. Like, we're either all the way out because we can't be half out because then we're just going to get eaten alive. And then, like, yeah." He, he holds up, he pulls this check out of the corner of his pocket and he holds it up between his um, index and middle finger and he flicks it with his pinky. He's like, here's, here's my tool, here's the money, here's my, you know, take it. Here's, you know, essentially it's like the Garden of Eden. Here's the apple, just eat it. It's it's such a wonderful little touch. Sorry, I can't, yeah, I love this fucking no, it's, so I mean, much. It's very, on, it's very on brand and... They come into, like, so he gives the, the rallying cry to the, the traders and he basically says, listen, we're asking you to torture relationships and we're aware that this is going to kill your place in the industry quite badly. So first of all, for each of you who meets your quotas, you get like a million pounds or some, a million dollars or a million and a half, 1. something 4 like this. Million. Indiv- Sorry? $1.4 million. $1.4 yeah. million each. You get one uh, 1.4 million if you make 93% or something. And if the whole floor taken together makes 93%, everyone gets an extra like 1.4, yeah, 1.3 yeah. or something. Yeah. If they and make all their targets, says, they get like $3 million, $4 million each, essentially. Like there's a yeah. huge incentive for them to like not think about the material consequences of their actions, but to just like... But it's, it. it's also like... He, he's also straight up saying to them, look... I know that this is going to end your job because no one will trust you to trade with them ever again. Um, So we're going to buy you out. But don't worry because this will allow the bigger thing to keep going. You're making a sacrifice and we are rewarding you for that sacrifice. And it does exactly the same thing as was just done to him. It's just like, look, here's your check. Take it. Take it. And don't worry. It's for the greater good. Even though he doesn't believe in that um, because he's been paid to believe in it. And so they then have a scene which starts in the morning with them phoning up. And at the start, they're like, hey, we're looking to offload his assets. And someone's like, why? These are golden. And it's like, well, you know, we're just trying to show up our books and kind yeah, of... Yeah, they're lying. Got- they're like, from the jump, it's Paul Bettany's voice the whole time. And they're just... He's 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 selling something that he knows to be garbage. Like, it's... it's yeah. When you step back from it and you look at, like, what are you doing? It's just like, you are... You are pulling 
whether or not they would have stopped it because that's also like a sort of point that Jeremy Irons makes in the film as well is like they make this this you know whether or not they would have stopped it is another question but like they're the ones you know pulling the starter you know pulling the starter pistol on a on a massive financial crisis um and it's and so so what what's lovely about the way they do it is in the morning people are like ah yeah okay we'll take that that sounds great and then in the afternoon it's like he phones up and he immediately gets a fuck you and he's like well no hold on like you know, we're just, I'm looking to sell this. It's like, no, fuck you, man. The, the market's going to hell. He's like, well, I'm willing to sell it to you for this good price. He's like, no, fuck you, man. He's like, well, you're still on the phone. So that tells me you actually want it. So what's the price you actually are willing to risk it on? And there's a pause and the guy like oh, gives a counter off and we're like, all right, done. And then it goes 4 p.m., like near closing. And he phones up and it's like, hey. Um, and then the other guy on the other end goes, fuck you and just hangs up immediately because they don't want it anymore. And it's just really nicely done. Like, it shows you how throughout the day, everyone else is figuring out what's going on. And then by the time they hit, like, near close, um, like, they've, they've destroyed their reputation. No one will even talk to them, but they've done it. They've sold it all. Yeah, and you've, um, got, you've got Paul Bettany, uh, when he was trying to make that last trade, uh, when the guy gives him the offer, he has to say, oh, he says he has to call up... Uh, Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey to, to, yeah. to confirm to it. To get sign-off. So he yeah. calls him and he, say, he says, do it. Put, put it up two points and, and do it. And he goes back to the other guy and says, "All right, put it up two points." And he like he says, "All right." And he's and uh, Paul Bettany's just like losing one hundred and thirty-five million dollars on one trade. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is how desperate they are to get rid of these fucking useless, uh, useless products. But it's better to get some money for them than to get no money for them. And so yeah. it goes on. Um, and yeah, it's like, it, you know, it's, it, Wikipedia describes it as, as trading progresses, the firm elicits suspicion and eventually anger from their counterparties um, and incurs heavy losses, but they're able to sell off most of the bad assets. That's it. They've done it. They've won. Now comes the denouement. And this is where I think the, the film's real heart comes in, essentially. Do you want to do you want to talk on it, Rob, or shall I? Oh, is this, are you talking about the conversation over lunch, late lunch with uh, Jeremy Irons yeah. and Kevin Spacey? Yeah, it's yeah. again like the the framing of them of this scene alone is it's the corporate it's the executive dining room whatever on the however many a floor and it's daylight and all of new york like the skyline is sort of laid out well, it's not the skyline like you see down into like the the housing and the mm. projects and like the sort of the, the normal world is beneath them and they are talking you know it's really like they're sitting there it, it's very much framed as like these are the masters of the universe like it's not the politicians it's not the people in the street it's these people doing numbers fucking to each other essentially and just being like the worst possible versions of of themselves and you know kevin spacey comes in and he's like you know you i want out i can't deal with this anymore and then it's not even gradually but like jeremy irons has said look i need you to stay because it's fantastic as well because he says look i need you to stay for at least two more years because Yes, there's now a giant financial panic that we caused, but there's also going to be a lot of money being made coming out of this thing. So it's like, no matter what happens, like head heads, you know, it's very much heads they win, tails you lose. Like you're, it, it, it's very well done because he, you know, Kevin Spacey has like sort of the last gasps or whatever of a like a, a moral frame or something. But even he, anything resembling a conscience. Yeah. yeah 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 and and jeremy irons just sort of says look it again he tries whether or not he believe that the character believes it or not is is almost uh, irrelevant because he just says look 
the world's always going to be like this. There's always going to be, you know, uh, um, uh, a, f a number of fat cats and everybody else is going to be starving dogs. And, you know, he, he also says, you know, Jamie uh, um, and Alistair, he literally says money is fake. It's not real. It's just a piece of papers. That yeah, this, uh, that was my, <laughs> that was yeah. uh, that bit really uh, resonated with me. Yeah, it's just pieces of paper with pictures on so we don't have to kill each other for dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, I like the bit where he says, he says, uh, Kevin Spacey is like, oh, you've you've had a, like a good life. These last 40 years, you could have been digging ditches. And Kevin Spacey says, yeah, and at least I would have had some holes in the ground to show for it. Yeah. <laughs> and what's uh, what's also very good about this is as this conversation is happening, remember, they're eating. Like, the, 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 this is, it's taking place in the diner. These guys are having their, they have them lunch, essentially, you know? They, they they are continuing to eat while the crisis plays out. It's, like it's, it's very explicit. It's almost a physical representation of that very famous poster of like we work for you, you know. But at the top, it's like yeah. they eat for you and they trade for you. Like it's it's very much like that. And then you have this um, Jeremy Irons does this very good monologue about like again, you know, about the the you know there's the percentages of people who are wealthy and do it well off, and the people who are starving are always the same and what we do doesn't hugely matter uh and that it's like it's in human nature to overreach and essentially like cause crises for itself and he does this incredible like um uh series of dates and they're all financial crises like th the, the, the ones he mentions they're all for he begins with i think the south sea shares crisis in the 17th century i want to say or the 16th yeah, 17th like um and it's like it, it progresses through the ages and like for for those of you like so marxistly inclined among us like the speed with which the crises come like the years of crises get closer and closer together every mm -hmm. single time and it's it's you know he's like yeah 1981 christ that really fucked me over but like it's clearly like well we're just going to do this again and and again you know we will be here to make money coming we will be here to make money from the crisis and then when we come out of the crisis we'll be here again to make more money from that it's it's really like it's very bleak and it's very like in that it, it's very much like the heart of the movie is these people have totally devoid divorced themselves from like material consequences for humanity essentially and in the background um jared cohen is showing peter sullivan in that simon baker is showing zachary quinto in um and it, it is said that you know uh, peter sullivan's gonna get promoted uh, irons lets him know kind of in passing um because he's useful um, and that's finally he's getting his acceptance into the executive suite. And he's like using this as illustrative to Kevin Spacey that like they need people. There's plenty of place, you know, there's there's plenty of room for them all to have lunch now that they've cleared out the dead woods, essentially. And it's uh, he, he like he, he basically says to, to, you know, Kevin Spacey, this is happening with or without you. I would like you here. I need you. I can write you a big check. And Spacey Rogers, he accepts because he's got financial reasons he's, he's like he needs the money and this is kind of like that's it that's the that's the sum of it all is just like you know he wanted to resign he was told no stick around for this then he's like okay i've done your dirty work now i want to resign he's like well now you've done it you might as well stay for the rest of it and that's it it's like once you've sold your soul that's it there's no getting it back um it's yeah. always easier and easier to sell out next time and then we get to like the one scene that pretty much like comes close to ruining the movie and I always <laughs> yeah. I hate it so much. Um, it's like at the beginning of the movie, they introduced that like um, Kevin Spacey's character is actually really sad because his dog is dying. Um, and then at the end, like he's burying his dog and it's like a very mediocre 
metaphor for like you know his conscious and what's happening etc cetera, etc cetera. so i prefer not to think yeah, of that he, scene because it's bad and stupid well it's like it's, it's i'm gonna give it a little bit more credit than this so the metaphor is that he's sad about the dog dying because the dog was his marriage like he got the dog from his wife essentially it was part of their marriage he got it when they split and the dog is ill and during the course of the film he has to euthanize the dog yeah and then he goes back to bury the dog in his wife's yard and the metaphor they're going for it's also his conscience he, or like it's just yeah. kind of ham-fisted he he you know he lost his wife's marriage because he became too invested in the in the firm um spent too much time in wall street got away from who he is but he had the dog to remember it all by and now in this last moment he's had to kill his conscience put the dog down and so he returns tearfully to accept it's gone and buries it where it belongs you know with his ex-wife who comes out and what's really funny and what i think redeems this scene is that she informs him that their son's firm also sustained heavy losses but avoided bankruptcy. His son's going to do exactly the same shit. Like, yeah, that's I mean, what the, makes that yeah. a little bit worthwhile. Well, I mean, it's also a callback to a scene we skipped earlier in the movie where it's one of the rare ones where they're outside and it's Zachary mm. Kinto's character and Kevin Spacey's character and he's like, did you talk to your son today? Like, did, did, did you let him know what's happened? And then Kevin Spacey's like, oh, yeah, no, I, shit, I completely forgot to 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 do that you know it's it's pretty it's pretty fucking incredible and it's it's did What's he forget for, or was it just that he can't like because of the the swarm no of he forgot aren't they? He, 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 forgot. he forgot it's just like i just i just whoops you know and it, it's, it's it's meant to me like it's twofold it's like showing like he's lost his soul and he's lost his family and he's lost the things that make him human but it's also showing like subtly that his son is gonna grow up and do exactly the same thing, like like Jeremy Irons said. It's uh, it's recurring, it's eternal. It's like you know, it's layered in, and there's always gonna be generations of these fuckers are doing this. And look, there's the next generation coming up who hasn't yet lost a marriage and had to bury his dog, but it's there, it's baked in. Um, and that that I think is what that little bit, that very last bit about the sun's firm made it through okay, is what I think makes that scene all right. They'd been better. I don't like the metaphor of burying a dog, but I get it. And uh, you know, just the the whole idea of like the institutional, this is a legacy thing that will go through generations as you are doing. Your son is going to do in future, and we know he is because he survived the layoffs. Like you know, that it, it's nice. I like it. it. It's not about this particular cadre of fuckers. Rather, it's about the generations of them that will always be on top and always knifing each other and always eating their lunches, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's just a great movie. It's, it's, I just love it. It's subtle. It doesn't treat the viewer like a, like an idiot. It's, yeah, I just, I fucking love this. <laughs> I can't, I can't express enough how much I love this movie. It's, it, it's almost like, um, and I said before, like it, it, it reminds me a lot of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And whereas I, mm. when I was looking at it again, I was like, I think you could do this entire movie. Like, I think you could do it as a play in a theater because it only requires eight actors, essentially, plus some extras to stand in for the cleaners yeah. and stuff. But it's only eight people who were really like about it, essentially. Like you could do this in a, in a theater and it would still work really well if you got like a good cast for it. But yeah. There's um there's a bit I want to read from Wikipedia because it quotes uh, a review of it which I think is kind of I think sums it up quite well. So A O Scott wrote this. Margin Call is a thriller moving through ambient shadows to the anxious tempo of Nathan Larson's hushed anxious score. It is yeah, also a horror movie. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the score. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, Sorry. it is also a horror movie with disaster lurking like an unseen demon outside the skyscraper windows and behind the computer screens. It is also a workplace comedy of sorts, the crackling, um, syncopated dialogue and the plot full of reversals and double crosses owes a great and obvious debt to David Mamet's profane fables of deal-making with Gizmo. Hovering over all of it is the dark romance of capital, the elegance of numbers, the kinkiness of money, the deep, rotten, erotic allure of power. And I think that's a perfect summary of a film, honestly. Um, it, it really it, it is showing you the dark temptation. Like when Rob said, like it's the Garden of Eden, it is. Like it's it's a fable of a Garden of Eden translated into modern terms. It's like rather than knowledge and the crime of going against God, it's it's money and it's selling out your soul for it. And it, it, it pulls no punches in showing you the dark, sterile, vampiric allure that comes with all of this. Um, should we talk about the score briefly, actually? Because you, you're right, we haven't talked about it, and it is fucking good. I mean, I don't have really much to say, except, like, I just fucking love it. I'm, I'm I've got not... an amusing one-star review to read out to you all. Oh, go on. <laughs> so, um, Jimbo uh, says, Never has so much acting talent been assembled in one place, only to be completely and utterly wasted. The cards do not so much telephone their performers in as send them by carrier pigeon. Uh, get the next paragraph. They're annoyed at how often they say the word "fuck" for some reason, um, and they give they give a summary of what they think should have happened. <laughs> Here's what, what I thought was going to happen. Spoiler alert: This is not what happens. So I thought when alert, then, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought when Spock realizes like inviting how someone to... round to watch like fucking Iron Man going spoiler alert: Darth Vader doesn't die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought when Spock realises how bad things are and brings it to the attention of Kaiser Soze, he, Spock, it's like Jamie wrote this, but like more, like less <laughs> capably. Like really less fun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, Spock, would be told that everything is under control and then would spend the rest of the movie trying to dodge the hitman that had been put on his tail to prevent him disclosing that they're fucked. This Scott- is, uh, <laughs> what this is like fucking... This is like Marina Hyde writing or something. <laughs> just that that like way where it's like, oh, they don't so much phone it in as like desperately flick, like flicking through a fucking book of like older versions of telecommunications. A ah, carrier pigeon. They send them by carrier pigeon. <laughs> Scar yeah, would so, only so. be brought in at the last minute, not as the head honcho of the firm, but as the super successful hitman who needs to be put on the case because Spock has used his secret taekwondo training. To fight off all the previous assassins. Oh, this is yeah. that's this is how you use one Jeremy of the most Irons. tedious fucking bits I think I've ever heard anyone do. It's also like it's kind of telling because what's going on there is this guy is thinking, oh, this would be much better if it was a story about corporate malfeasance and the cover up, and then we could use that to introduce action. And it's like not getting that there is no, no cover up. No, the to guy, the guy is one thousand percent doing a bit. He wrote this yeah. because it's like he thinks he thinks he's like fucking comedy genius, and he's been sharing it around all his friends, and maybe even put it on his fucking CV if he wants to work as a writer. <laughs> like. This this might well be like a fucking early entry from some like goon who's on Mock the Week regularly now or something. It just it has that like look at look at how clever I am like air to it. It is absolutely not a fucking serious take on what the film sh- they think the film should have been about. They just like they think that this is like fucking hilarious. Someone someone gave one star just because it had no subtitles. So it was a varied bat- bunch. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's good. Like on the subject of of the music, though, this film does a lot to convey anxiety with very little. 
um, is quite is quite interesting. The music does a lot to kind of play the emotional state of the characters, um, whilst they themselves are, are trying hard not to show their like emotional like response to realizing how fucked they all are. It's quite good. It's it's, it's subtle, and I like it. So. Anyway, um, closing thoughts. Yeah, just go watch it. It's fucking good. great. Yeah, it's all right. It feels like a good corollary to uh, the Big Short. Mm. Yeah, I think I think what's good about it is the Big Short. I don't, is think, ex- I, I don't think I've seen the Big Short either. Is that the one with uh, Vin Diesel in? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the one that Adam McKay became really famous with. Essentially, it's um, it's got it's got Brad Pitt in it and. Uh, the, 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 Bunch of people. Steve Carell. Uh, Christian Bale. Chris, uh, Steve Carell. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have a bit more mixed feelings about uh, the Big Short, but that's a different episode. I I think the the difference between these two films is the Big Short is fundamentally shot from the perspective of you and I, like it it takes outsiders who are short sellers who are betting against the system, but it, it's very much rooted in uh, this is the consequences. Of this is going to be dire for us, and it, it's shot from that perspective. Margin call. Margin Call is not the perspective of you and I. Margin Call is the the other side. It is the vampire castle, if you will, at the top of it all, looming over the New York skyscrape. And uh, it's good for that reason. It's it's a peer into another world in which we do not have purchase. See, when, when you said the consequences will be dire, I just thought that fucking uh, Deshare Zone thing about return my Wiimote immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, my central problem with the the big short is that it makes heroes of short sellers who are just as vampiric and cunty in real life. Oh um, yeah, they are. as everybody else. So whatever. But again, story for a different day. Um, but yeah, I. So just, what's the one with Vin Diesel in that I'm thinking of? Him? Uh, is your, that Triple X? Uh, no, it's Boiler Room. It's Boiler Room for sure. It's with uh, Giovanni Ribisi, which it's a good movie, but it sags a lot in the middle. Hmm. I actually don't know anything about that movie. I might need to look it up. Um. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, I guess I guess that does it. I does I think that does it for this cultural committee. So yeah, um, yeah. I hope you like us talking do... about the occasional like good movie <laughs> for a change. Yeah, it's, it's pleasant for and us. If you if you if you don't, then like fuck you. You didn't pay to get in. <laughs> um. <laughs> we will we will be doing. We'll be back to crap movies or interesting bad movies in the not too distant future. So we should probably close out uh, with our usual plugs. Um, yeah. If you enjoyed this and would like more of this kind of thing, um, then please consider subscribing to us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash praxiscast. You can listen to our ramblings over on Twitter on at praxiscast. You can buy merch and t-shirts from us on uh, praxiscast.tmail.com. And uh, yeah, we also do streaming. Um, am I right in thinking, Jamie and Alistair, that it's Wednesday, Thursdays we do streaming? It is currently, yes, Wednesdays yep. and Thursdays. Vampires, it's... Terraria and Stellaris, depending on... Yeah. When Wednesday night is the uh, the spectacular Draculas, and Thursday night is the uh, everyone annoy Jamie. The Jamie stream. Payne zone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although to be fair, we like fucking like the last two streams we've been hamstrung by game updates, which just feels like a fucking shit way to run a railroad. If I'm honest, <laughs> um, we had to start over in Stellaris, and now we've had to start over in Terraria as well because we don't get the the magic pool. That they added in the patch that they they fucking did like a week after we started playing the fucking thing. So <laughs> I have been having some fun this weekend building a new house in the <laughs> new server. So look forward to seeing that. 
Well, it'll, it'll all stop being fun when I have to actually go underground and fight something. Yeah. <laughs> the next step is Jamie becoming a digital uh, bike landlord. Uh, he's also entering the metaverse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. And uh, with that all said, hope this was entertaining. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Night. See you later.